Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Again, I'm Ed, and uh, great to be back with you as a way for a uh, couple weeks, spending time with uh, family and friends, but wonderful to be back uh, with you today and uh, see all your uh, wonderful smiling uh, faces and uh, to just participate in this wonderful uh, time of worship. And I trust that God has already been moving in your heart um, today. Let me lead us in prayer. Father God, may that be the desire of our hearts as we sung that song, that we would be attuned to you. Father God, who loves us, Jesus, who died for us, Spirit of God, who dwells within us, may we be aware of your presence. We thank you for your word that guides us and teaches us and helps us, changes us as you use it. Do that again, we pray, this day. We long for that. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. While we have come to the last of our uh, summer series designed to thrive, and I hope that this has been an encouragement to you and some guidance to you in various areas of your relationship, uh, of your life, and how you might thrive. And today we're looking into this theme of thriving in our relationships. I want to start with uh, three different quotes. The late Dr. Gary Smalley, a very respected counselor and author, opens his, I think, uh, one of his most significant books called The DNA Relationship with these words. Life is relationships. The rest is just details. This is the greatest truth. Everything in life that truly matters can be boiled down to relationships. Rick Warren expect many of you have read his widely pop popular purpose-driven life book. He writes these words. This is a little bit of a longer quote, but I think you'll like it. Love is the secret of a lasting heritage. He writes, I've been at the bedside of many people in their final moments when they stand on the edge of eternity, and I've never heard anyone say, bring me my diplomas. I want to look at them one more time, or show me my awards, my medals, the gold watch I was given. When life on earth is ending, people don't surround themselves with objects. We want around us, what we want around us is people, people we love and have relationships with. In our final moments, we all realize that relationships are all that life is all about. Wisdom is learning that truth sooner rather than later. Don't wait until you're on your deathbed to figure out that nothing else matters. Nothing matters more. One more. John Ortberg, one of my uh, favorite authors. I try to read everything he writes. And he writes, Community is what you were created for. It is God's desire for your life. It is the one indispensable condition for human flourishing. The yearning to attach and connect, to love and be loved, is the fiercest longing of the soul. Our need for community with people and the God who made us is to the human spirit what food and air and water are to the human body. 
we are created for relationships. A relationship with God, relationship with others. Jesus said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'd love to stop right now and hear what's going through your minds as I hope those quotes have maybe stimulated your thinking regarding our theme for this morning. And my guess is, is that it maybe is some version of, of two maybe conflicting ideas. The first is, yes, I know that is true. I was created for relationships, and I deeply want, desire great relationships in my life. And I'm most satisfied, most joyful when I'm with people I deeply love and deeply love me. But maybe secondly, contrastingly, this thought, if that's the case, why, why are relationships so hard? Or, why am I so lonely? Or, why all the relationships that are broken, that I see around me, are a part of my life? Why sometimes relationally am I such a mess? Why do relationships hurt so bad? Well, today... I want to do two things in this very huge topic. I want to consider briefly with you a kind of basic theology of relationships and then get very practical about one particular aspect of pursuing healthy relationships. And so we're, we're going to begin broad and then we're going to zero in on one particular area. That's where we're going today. There are three main points to this basic theology of relationships, and some of you here may be very familiar with this ground, but uh, let me go over because I think we need to have this firmly in our minds whenever we think about relationships. And the first is, is that we are designed, we are designed for relationships by a relational God, by God himself. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the, all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. If we are going to think about relationships through the lens of the scriptures, we must always go back here and begin here. God made humans male and female in his image. And a significant part of that being made in the image of God is how we are designed to relate, built for relationships. And in that, we are distinct from the rest of creation. That's part of what those verses in Genesis are telling us about. 
Now, I grew up on a farm. I, I love animals. And I think animals can be quite amazing and an amazing way you can train animals to do. But animals will never relate like humans. Even though I acknowledge that sometimes it's easier to love an animal than it is another human. We all get that. But by design, there is just a quantifiable difference about how we relate. We can relate with another human being. And also, as we are created for relationships, that relational DNA longs for relationships in what I call two dimensions. The vertical and the horizontal. The Godward direction and the human direction. Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve walked with God in intimacy and were the first family. And every person is a, is a longing, part of our DNA, our made in the image of God for connection, not only with God, created for that relationship, but created for intimate relationships with one another. It, it's what it means to be human. Point two, and clearly there's lots to say on each of these points, but this is a brief framework. Clearly, something happened that messed up that relational harmony and beauty, right? And the scriptures simply describe this as the fall of mankind. Details of it are recorded in Genesis 3, but the results of it are seen throughout human history. Romans 3.23 simply summarizes this reality this way, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And sin, in many ways, is our relational brokenness. We all know we are not living in the Garden of Eden, right? Every day, at work, at home, in our neighborhoods, in our countries, we see the implications, the outworking of the fall. From minor arguments and conflicts to tragic and even mass events that can affect whole countries, if not the entire world. Greed, hatred, abuse of power, lying, stealing, pride, envy, and so on breaks relationships. The big answer, the most straightforward answer to the question of why relationships are so messed up is because of sin. Because of sin. We are all, all broken. And the only kind of people that we can relate to are broken people. Of course, that brokenness is not the same for everyone or for every family or for every relationship. But every relationship, every human relationship that you participate in is going to have to deal with sin and its consequences. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect human relationships. Now, now this is completely obvious, isn't it? But you know what's strange? 
we keep being surprised that people act out their sinfulness. You see, we have this struggle, don't we? We long for relationships. We long for love and to be loved and to experience intimacy and connection and harmony. But then we're always, always disappointed, hurt, or we hurt others. And of course, the fall didn't only impact our human relationships, but our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. You see, and the reality is, is that this broken relationship is even more important and even has greater implications than our human relationships. You see, and Scripture teaches that it's actually our broken relationship with God that has led to our broken relationships with each other. They are intertwined, but it actually resulted from a broken relationship with God. Because of that, Scripture ultimately describes our condition, our spiritual condition, our relational condition as dead, lost, or separated from God. And that actually affects everything. Well, thankfully, point two is not the last point. And point three is this good news that God sent Jesus to save us from our sins and to enable restored relationships. And that's what Christianity is all about. God's plan begins with a restored relationship with himself who we can come to know as father. We are brought into his family. You see, Jesus himself in that incredible parable of the prodigal to son describes this as coming home, coming home. Jesus is the way to the father, to reconciliation, to communion with our creator, with God our father. You see, something deeply profound happens when we believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross by dying for our sins is that the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes and indwells us. The scripture says that we were dead in our sins, but now, because of what Christ has done, we can be alive, we can be forgiven, restored. We are brought into actually the relational nature of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this eternal community of intimate relationship, we are brought into that through faith in Jesus. And the plan is, is that as we come to know the love of the Father and the love of the Son and the love of the Holy Spirit, we get transformed. We get changed from the inside out. And we get empowered to love others. And as Jesus taught, as we follow him, we love one another. At one point, Jesus was approached and asked, well, what is the greatest commandment? What, what gets really to the core of what it means to live right? He responded this way, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This gets to the very essence of what it means to live. To love God. To love others. And Jesus came to enable us to do that. Jesus saves us not so that we can merely go to heaven, but so that we can love. So that we can love. So that we can thrive in our relationships. But this leaves us with a question, doesn't it? Why then do we still struggle so much with our relationships? Why do we find it often so hard to love well? Why is there still so much pain in our relationships? Why does even the church, this redeemed community of Christ followers who confess faith in him often struggle to love well? The simple answer because we're all works in progress. We're all works in progress. And, and Scripture teaches that there's this battle going on here in planet Earth. A battle inside of us and a battle outside of us. You see, when we become followers of Christ, some things change immediately. We are, we are reconciled with God, we are transformed in the inside so that we can connect with him, so that we know that we are loved. And we've sang about some of those wonderful truths this, this morning. But some other things we will be working on for the rest of our lives. Loving others will be an ongoing challenge because, you see, loving well actually flows from mature character. And character development takes time. But don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Certainly don't give up. God is with us. God has come and empowers us to change. And you and I, we can get better. We can. We can get better. We can love better. We can experience healthier relationships and richer community. That's what the gospel is about. Transforming us into the image of Christ day by day by day. But it will require that we earnestly seek Christ together. Earnestly apply the teachings of the scriptures to our lives. It's not automatic. It's not automatic, but it is possible if we pursue it. For Jesus wants us and calls us to live out lives of love, of rich relationship, of community. And that's what it means to become more like Jesus who lived a life of love. So, as I promised at the outset, I wanted to do two things today. 
kind of lay out a basic theology of relationships, and hopefully you've got some of that in your head. And then get very practical about how we can relate better. The scriptures are actually filled with guidance about how we are and can relate to one another for healthy relationship, for thriving in our relationships. And I've chosen today to focus on one area that powerfully shapes our relationships, and that's communication. And I've chosen really just a couple verses from the book of James that are pointed but immensely practical. And I've chosen them because I believe that if we simply put these instructions into greater practice in our day-to-day relationships, whether that's at work or home and in our community, certainly at church, it would impact our relationships greatly. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Straightforward, right? (laughs) James points out three things, three things that are so significant in communicating well. Or maybe uh, three things that maybe we need to be constantly alert to as we seek to develop healthy relationships. Three things that easily go wrong. First, James says, be quick to listen. You've probably heard the saying, we are given two ears and one mouth, so we should try to listen twice as much as we speak. It's a good adage to be reminded of in our communication. Uh, Over the years, I've counseled many couples And in my own marriage of over 35 years, as well as walking with uh, many people on boards and committees and so on, one of the hardest skills to develop is listening well. And folks, listening is more than hearing. Listening is seeking to understand what the other person understands or thinks or how they see things from their perspective. I expect we've all done it. We get into an exchange with someone and very quickly no one is listening. Not really. Even if they aren't talking over each other, they're not listening. While the other person's speaking, you're in your mind, you're simply thinking through your rebuttal. Right? Tell me you've been there because I know you have. Uh, Peter Drucker, a well-known business leader in the second half of the last century, wrote these insightful words. The most important thing in communication is to hear what isn't being said. Isn't that great? The most important thing in communication is to hear what isn't being said. You know why listening is hard? It requires focusing on the other person, not ourselves. Not our ideas, not our insights, not our perspectives, 
not our priorities. Listening is sacrificial because you have to say no to self. But to listen well is to love another well. You want to thrive in your relationships? Pursue listening well. It will revolutionize your relationships. Secondly, James says, be slow to speak. Now, I think maybe James has in mind the book of Proverbs, which has all kinds of Proverbs about communication, but here are a couple. Proverbs 12, 18, reckless words pierce like a sword. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Now, James isn't saying don't speak. He's saying words have power. Words have power. So choose your words well. It's like the children's lesson I learned so many years ago with that little tube of toothpaste. Once the toothpaste comes out, you can't put it back in. Words are like that, right? Once they're out. Oh, so many times we want to take that word back. And that's why James says, be slow to speak. Choose your words wisely. Now, at the same time, let me caution against any kind of misinterpretation of the verse that shows up in what is commonly referred to as the silent treatment. <laughs> Never use not speaking, clamming up as a form of punishment or manipulation. Now, things are getting heated. In exchange, take a break, let emotions settle, then come back. Listen well. Choose your words well. And that brings us to this third word of counsel from James. Slow to become angry. And James adds, adds because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The topic of anger could be a whole message in itself. Over the last few weeks, I've been rereading an entire book on the subject of anger. Exploring anger in the scriptures, healthy anger, unhealthy anger, and mixed expression, and so on. You see, some people think that all anger is simply bad. Some people may be in denial about truly how Angry they are, and it's leaking out in all kinds of inappropriate ways. The subject of anger is multifaceted. I simply want to acknowledge that. But to stick with James this morning, he cautions us about the speed in which we become angry. You get angry quickly, fly off the handle. Be slow to become angry. You've got to control that. And that anger should not be the means, the tool we use to effect change. That is that anger is limited in its effectiveness. James puts it this way, it does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
Let me acknowledge that this is, this is an area that I have had to work on in my life, and sometimes I blame that on my Irish heritage, uh, but it's more just my sinful heritage. And the struggle that I've had to work through is that anger can sometimes seem so effective. <laughs> we can push an agenda forward with anger, or threaten people into action, intimidate people. You see, in the end, as James says here, it does not build healthy relationships and community. It does not build the righteousness that God desires. Anger tears down. Love builds up. Be slow to become angry. Are you an angry person? Are your relationships ones in which there's this frequent expression of anger and words said that hurt and wound? If so, my friends, you need to deal with it. No excuses. No excuses about, well, that's just the way I am and I just want people to know how I feel. <laughs> you can change. You can become more gentle, patient, kind, and so on. That's what the gospel's about. We don't need to remain in patterns of brokenness that destroy and wound. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So simple, yet profound in their application. In a moment, I just want to pray for you. We all struggle in relationships. All, all of us. And we all struggle in communication. I know it. But maybe God is prompting you about a particular relationship or a particular pattern, a particular habit. And it's time to change. Time to grow up. And we do that first by turning to God himself, the author of relationships, the one who has the power to change us and to transform us. We get right with him. We invite his grace and power to transform us and to change us and renew us. And we can become healthier in our relationships. That's the power of God. Does it work? as we come to him. So let me pray for you. Father God, I, I just thank you for the wisdom of your word. We acknowledge that though created in your image, we are all broken, messed up, fallen. We all fall short. But as that is not the last word. The final word is that we are your redeemed children through faith in Jesus. And we are restored. We are your children. We are your loved possession. We are even your prize. But Father, we also have to acknowledge that we are works in progress. And the longing of our heart is to love more, to love better 
love more maturely. Maybe for some this morning, this, this has felt like a scalpel that's cut because we know that there are areas of our relation or world that are so messed up. And we've got patterns and we look at the trail that's left behind us and it's just brokenness and mess. And some of us need to own that and own that first before you. That you have the power to change us. Yes, forgive us. But also change us. So Father, change us. Change us in those areas where we acknowledge that we need to be changed, that we need to grow. And Father, if we need some insight about why that is and what that pattern is and what the roots of that are, grant us wisdom, maybe through trusted friends or counsel, whatever the case may be, to change us, that we might live out more of the love that you call us to we might love you with all our heart and soul and mind and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Do that, Father, by the power of your spirit. For we so long for it. In Jesus' name.